Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats number 88. We've been around since December of 2015 and we're ready to get this cast underway. We would like to thank, as always, our awesome sponsors, CoolStuffInc.com and GatheringMagic.com, who have given us a free gift card to give away. If you guys listen, you will be able to find out exactly how to win that in the future. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% BIOS bonus, Cool Stuff Inc. is the number one Magic the Gathering store for all of your gaming needs. I'm joined this week, of course, with my co-host Ed Wynn of Kerwin's Gaming in a wonderful-looking polo today, Jim Casali in not-a-wonderful-looking polo today, and Travis Allen with a style so sharp it's almost as good as his mind. How are you guys doing? Are you coming on to Travis? No. Closest thing I've gotten to an unequivocal comment from Jeremy ever. You know, I compliment you guys one time, and all of a sudden, yeah. Actually, you just complimented me, I think. No, I guess you gave it to Ed, too. <laughs> yep. Uh, actually, I bought some new shorts, if you saw my Twitter, and uh, immediately after showing my customers, they asked me if I was gay. So, fun times with these shorts, man. Uh, but this podcast is not about fashion or Travis would sadly have to write another article. This is about magic finance. So let's get right underway. We had the full spoilers for masters 25 come out. Um, what are your initial thoughts on exactly, well, exactly what's going on with green's highest value card before the set even drops being only $20, uh, for Azusa lost, but seeking, uh, we saw some interesting black mythics. They didn't reprint demonic tutor. For example, we got doomsday instead, which, uh, didn't really need a reprint, but it's an iconic card in its own right, I guess. And we ended up getting a bunch of junk, junk mythics outside of Jace the Mind Sculptor, Chalice of the Void, and Imperial Recruiter. So overall, what are your guys' thoughts on M25 now that we have the full spoiler? And is there any money to be made off this set? This set's like really awkward because they started so, so strong and then they just like very rapidly fell like they were like they they started off strong and then they tripped and then they like hit every single rock on the way down the hill to the bottom where no one's interested in it anymore i don't know what happened like i don't know why they decided to spoil all the good stuff at the beginning and absolutely nothing at the end um there were a couple like uncommons that were pretty cool that they showcased uh when the full spoiler came out but besides that like i don't want really know who this set was for. I don't know why they made certain decisions to reprint certain things and not other things. Obviously, you can't have every card in every set, but I feel like people were expecting a little bit more with how well the set started, but it feels like they just like got everyone's hype overloaded and then failed to deliver at the end. Ed, as you sip your tea musingly, what... uh what are your thoughts on M25? Uh, I'm not really sure what people expected. I think it was unrealistic for people to expect just staples in every format to uh, to be reprinted. Uh, that being said, I think people's uh, excitement was replaced by disappointment pretty quickly. That's probably the overwhelming response. It's like, oh, it's cool that Chalice got reprinted, but it's a mythic. Imperial Recruiter, it got it got spoiled. It's a mythic, and then it went it went downhill pretty fast. It felt like um, new art wasn't enough to entice people. 
these were a lot of things that I think it would have been cool if it was executed slightly better, but I think the combination of just somewhat odd choices for reprints in addition to the way it was spoiled probably wasn't the best. Um, that being said, I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. Uh, I am still holding out to see if there would be some sort of last minute spoiler that we're not going to know about until people actually start opening packs similar to how rare the uh, foil unstable uh, basics are or if there's like some sweet gimmick in the set that just intentionally did not get spoiled because you know that's that's the type of thing that wizards would pull um i don't know pre-orders have been going fine for us they've still kind of been chugging along um obviously a lot of cards already start tanking i'm sure that'll be a bit more of a discussion later but i don't know i i still think the set's slightly better than iconic masters but obviously much worse than some of the other sets we've had in the past years and i think that might be part of their new philosophy of we're no longer going to do like a modern masters type set we're no longer going to do master sets by format it's more by theme and i think that might be a big factor in their downfall as to why the set came out so poorly received travis at this point wizards is sort of back themselves into a corner masters was really interesting when it was modern masters 2013 and the reprints were really necessary and everyone was really excited so people had a reason to be excited now what do you care about like most stuff that needs a really needed reprint has already gotten it at least once like the novelty of these has worn off so i was going to talk about how wizards is having trouble managing expectations on these because people get super excited for them before we see any cards and then that level of excitement drops once we actually see everything spoiled because and it's like well wizards isn't telling people like what to expect they need to keep everyone's hype down but like they they really can't like it just feels like there's now a mismatch between the product and like it, nothing's syncing up anymore uh and i don't think there's essentially a good way to do master sets anymore at least a, a good way to get people excited about them there's what cards could they put in this that people would be excited about right like ignoring the reserve list like what are they going to put in here that you're going to be happy about they could put 256 cards the 256 most valuable cards aren't on the reserve list right like is that what people want but those are going to crater the price is super hard so everyone who owns those cards is going to be super pissed so i would just i don't know what they can put in these that's going to make people happy uh which to me says they need to seriously rethink this entire line um and stop making it a, and stop expecting reprints to get people excited um so you know as for the financial component of it we really need to see the print run uh you know we've been looking at some of the ev ev calculations and it's actually quite high like higher possibly than any master set prior at least at launch um accommodating for how those prices fluctuate so what we need to see is how many boxes are hitting shelves if it turns out the distributors are getting a lot fewer than we thought even the big box stores there could be a lot of money to be made here but we're not gonna we don't really know that yet uh or if we do the people who know aren't talking so we'll we'll see where it goes but i do think that master sets in general need uh need to be discontinued or have a, a new they need to enter a new phase so allow me to elucidate you on this. Um, the print run, at least from what I can tell, is a little less than Iconic Masters. However, um, something to keep in mind, as you explained, is this is a high value set at launch, but a lot of the cards in the set are not going to recover in price versus past Masters sets. The stuff like the filter lands and all that, you're not going to see a, an aggressive return on your investment after a couple of years 
I would guess. Um, a lot of this stuff I'm going to be staying away from as far as speculating on, and it's going to be more of the model that a lot of people are moving to that is let's flip stuff as fast as possible because I don't think, uh, and actually one of our viewers asked a question that we'll get into later on this, but I don't think specifically for this set that it's a good idea to be sitting on a bunch of stuff. Trading into this stuff is fine, but putting money in it and expecting a good return, there's just better places to put your money, quite frankly. And I, I don't know what how many boxes Ed got, but I know across the places I work with, it's not as much as Iconic. The I, question there is whether or not... You, you guys are advanced stores, like right? But like what about Target? Advanced, advanced Plus. I guess, but... Yeah, so I guess we'll have to see what... I want to know what Target's getting, right? Target and Walmart. Those are the ones that, that are going to matter. I mean, if it's anything like Iconic Masters, they just get three-pack blisters, which a case of those is like 12, I think. Like, that's what fits on the shelf. Did big boxes not get actual sealed boxes? No, they never get sealed boxes. They always get blisters. Exactly. Sometimes, sometimes they get one-pack blisters. Sometimes they get draft blisters, which have three of them. So I, the only way I've seen Iconic Masters in big box stores is in the three-pack blisters. I've also seen Unstable in the three-pack blisters, but I've not seen like regular, like regular standard sets in that in that format. I didn't. Know. Well, do they do they get? They don't get normal set booster boxes, right? Like there's no cons of card no, tier. No, no they never they never get booster boxes. It's always blisters. Okay. Now Target uses a third-party distributor, so they've had booster boxes in the past, um, but. I don't specifically know exactly what the third-party distributor run is for Target for Masters 25. Um, they haven't said anything about that yet. But as far as specifically Target, uh, Wizards is not stocking them directly. It's a third-party uh, that does it. Well, yeah, and Target Wizards or uh, Target Walmart, like they're all you know all effectively the same here. No, because the difference is Target has a third-party where they re where they package up those. Um, commander decks and you can sometimes get a deal uh, versus I mean, walmart you're not going to see that i mean the same in the sense that like as a buyer it the difference doesn't matter to me like i'll go to walmart i'll go to target like just you know large stores in general okay yeah all right I've i thought you're getting more into the distribution method i've seen the disassembled commander decks like you're talking about in those like plastic cases right i've seen those at walmart and i've also seen them at gamestop and think geek which is basically just another gamestop Right, but it's a it's a different distributor for for Target versus everybody else. So that's what you oh. need to keep in mind. It's it's like hard to tell though because the products look the same. Right. Yeah, and it depends who's selling that distributor, the product specifically. So all of this information is it sounds good, right? Like this is interesting. I didn't realize that they never had booster boxes of this stuff. I never really looked. Uh, it still doesn't change the fact that how much of it they're getting their hands on, at least how much of it wizards is willing to supply to them directly uh, rather than through a third or even I guess through a third party distributor uh, will depend on like where the value of this goes. You could, I guess wizards could get crafty and do like the, the Zendikar priceless treasures, right? Where they bought up a bunch of reserveless cards and stuck them in Zendikar packs. They could do that in booster boxes and not in blister packs. Like, so if you buy a box from your store, you have a chance of like getting these extra promo cards. But if you buy the, the three pack at Walmart, you're never going to get them. That would be kind of nifty and like might change the numbers a little bit. I don't know. No, but it, Walmart, Walmart sells so many packs that like they have to do it across everything. 
Like the way that they get people to go to shops is standard showdown and other premium things that are only available at shops, but they make so much money off of these big box shops just from uh, like a mom seeing a pack and being like, I'll buy this for Timmy that they would never do that. Yeah. I guess that makes sense too. I mean, they did do something sort of like that though recently with the, um, the Black Friday promo packs that they were yeah, giving that's what away. I mean. That they do those specifically at stores because stores already have enough of a problem staying open, and that's like their gift to uh, shops to to entice people to come in and like buy a booster box in person instead of eighty dollars online. Yeah, like realistically, I would say like big box shops are kind of like the biggest competition for most game stores. Like realistically, if Jeremy decided to move to New York for some insane reason, and open, please no, <laughs> and open up a store like you know thirty minutes away from me, like I could honestly care less because I don't see Jeremy as a threat. I don't see like Doug having his own TCG player business as a threat. Well, of course you it, can't see me, Ed. You're all the way down there. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> um, but for most of the like the stores who are actually big, like Star City, Channel Fireball, realistically, their biggest threat are these big box stores because they're going to be the ones who are pulling sort of these impulse buyers, you know, Oh, I can go to target. I'll just grab a few draft packs, stay at home on Friday night and like do a draft instead of going down to your local game store. Those are realistically the people who are probably going to be th threatening the game, the game industry the most. Um, and you already see that, right? Like if you ever have been to like a GameStop or target in recent history, they have target exclusive pop figures. How absurd is that when you when you think about it? When you know you don't have game stores getting these because Target across you know all their stores, however many stores they have across the country, they can afford to spend five million dollars to have an exclusive uh, pop made exclusively for them, and they can market that. And that's something that most game stores couldn't even begin to dream of doing, simply because they don't have a way to distribute you know a hundred thousand pop figures or you know whatever whatever the print run is. Um, and I think, I think that's the biggest problem with the nature of uh, masters with, it started with iconic and now it's in 25 that what was once previously a limited print run and meant for higher, higher level shops to kind of get a bonus as it were, as a way to kind of bolster sales. That's just kind of gone wayward. Um, and it's 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 really rough because I've definitely you know been down to Walmart when I need groceries whatever, and I've seen that oh there's no iconic masters product left right we have infinite boxes at the store and clearly there's people at Walmart who are buying these even though we sell the iconic masters booster packs cheaper in store so yeah I agree with you there Ed like one of the biggest things a shop can do or even if you're listening to this trying to grind value is get in touch with your casual players that's like your bread and butter for a lot of shops and you get those people in that love buying booster packs they don't care what the value is and if you can get them in that helps uh, keep you afloat or like keep your money turning over versus them going to Walmart and spending $10 on a pack of Iconic Masters. Like being able to cater to a player and being like, yeah, we have $6 packs of Iconic Masters and we're making like 10 to 15% per box. But like you get them in and that helps a ton versus like watching them just throw money at a big box shop. So like that's who you should be targeting. If you're trading just for a profit or if you're trying to gain value, you should always have a good group of casual players that sees a bulk rare or sees that you have cheaper prices and they know to come to you rather than going to Walmart. Just like what Jim did this weekend, actually. 
uh jim didn't jim didn't compete with like star city or like an amazon fulfillment thing he found a casual player and he sold them bulk and he he filled that niche and now he has that relationship where he can do it again if they need more so he wasn't a casual player he's oh just, now he's you make just, me look like an ass on the cast yeah, i guess sorry. i can do that for myself already but yeah uh he wasn't a casual player but he was buying it for casual reasons Close enough. I'll take I'll take a, a half swing on that. So, but yeah, it, it's all about networking and it's all about maintaining relationships with the casual players and letting them know that you have a clean shop that like their parents or you know you're not like sitting in a basement and like these like high school kids are coming over to buy packs off you. You're meeting them like somewhere safe uh, if you're on the grinding side of things. So. It's all about making them feel welcome and establishing relationships in order to get their money. So that's pretty much it. Uh, we want to talk any more about M25. I'll take that as a note. Jim, what is our credit winner for the week? And how can people win in the future? So our credit winner is not a what, it's a who. And our credit winner this week is Brad... Nitkowski. I love it when Jim tries to pronounce names. Well, some of them are easy, and some of them have two vowels in a row that we don't normally see in English. So Nidkowski. Yeah, maybe. That's I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure E before I is the most common iteration of two vowels in a row. Just saying. Anyway, Jim, what's his question? No, it's probably E and then A. Anyway, his question is... I want to make some pickups for my Iconic Masters, and I'm not really in a rush, so I'd like to wait for the floor to buy in. As everyone knows, Iconic Masters is in a weird spot compared to previous Master sets when it comes to supply. Box prices seem to keep going down, so that's it's hard to identify where the floor is. Is now a good time as any to buy in, or should I keep waiting? Um, personally, I think that most of the cards in Iconic Masters are at their floor or very, very close to the point where, like, if you're going to play with them, just buy them. There's no reason to continue waiting. Um, but it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for Horizon Canopy or uh, Grove of the Burn Willows, those are like more competitive cards that are more likely to creep back up. I'd probably buy those now. If you're waiting for like Mana Drain or like the Kamigawa Dragons or something like Koku Show. You could probably keep waiting and then just wait for it to, to start. Like as soon as it starts going up, like a little bit, that's probably when you should pull the trigger. Because once they once they hit the bottom and start going up, that's the end. It's not going to go back down unless it gets reprinted again. So ultimately, it depends. Like, are you going to play with the cards right now? Or do you need them for a tournament? Buying them now is not a bit not a problem. If you don't really care, you just want to own them eventually. You can keep waiting. But you have to pay attention to the card price, and when it starts to go up, that's when you should. That's probably just just the pass where it, it bottomed out, and you'll need to buy it. Ed, I, th I think one of the key things about Iconic Masters is basically, like Jim said, you need to either figure out if pre-Iconic Masters, you can think about this in the context of M twenty-five or A twenty-five, I guess, as well. Um, was the card originally expensive because it was high in demand or was card originally expensive because it was low in supply? Um, and most cards, you know, they very obviously fall in that category. A card like Shieldred or Mandrain 
Abyssin, Angel of Hope, these are all, while they do obviously fall in the casual category, they were all very, very expensive, relatively speaking, because they had seen very few printings prior to Iconic, and Iconic basically created their price because the demand wasn't very high. It was just a very, very short print run relative to what we have now. And most people probably don't ever need more than one Children, one Mandarin, unless they have you know multiple black EDH decks or multiple cube commander casual decks, et cetera, that require multiple copies of these. Whereas a card like Horizon Canopy, if you're playing, if you're looking to build boggles coming off of you know Grand Prix Toronto and the Magic Online Championship. A Horizon Canopy—that's the type of card people want four of. If more people are going to look to be buying into Boggles, I would probably buy it sooner rather than later. If we start seeing blue base decks with Ancestral Vision and Jace start doing well, I would probably buy Ancestral Vision now as opposed to later. So it's just what you're looking to buy and the demand of it relative to kind of the supply that Iconic injected back to the market. We've already seen cards like Cryptic Command start rebounding in price because... No, people... I was going to say that. Oh, all this research I put into this question, man. All right, never mind. Continue, Ed. Um, Cryptic Command has already started rebounding because of, you know, blue-based decks. It's not hard to tell, like, everyone's excited to play Jace, right? Like, what's one of the best cards that work with Jace? Cryptic Command. Right, I was excited to play Bloodbraid Elf. What cards work well with Bloodbraid Elf? Liliana Veil. Um, so in the icon, in the context of Iconic Masters, competitive cards, I would probably start buying them now. People, the supply is out there, but people aren't really buying boxes for the sake of cracking. Um, most of the boxes I've seen moved have basically been kind of for investment purposes. People looking to stock to stash them away. Or you know, keep them for like a rainy day or something, as opposed to just opening them up for singles. So the supply of iconic is probably at its peak or close to it. So depending on what you want, I just kind of make your own evaluation there. Travis, um, Ed's point about competitive versus commander staples is a good one. Uh, <clears throat> the competitive ones will rebound a lot faster in general. Uh, also, I haven't checked the prices recently, but I agree with Jim. Uh, they're probably very close to their floor. So if you're buying for yourself, you probably you don't really want to wait. What are you going to save like 50 cents a copy? Um, if you're buying for spec purposes, you just want to keep a, a close eye on inventory and price levels, basically on a daily or every couple day basis. And you'll that way you'll quickly become attuned to any low prices. So if you're if you know if you want to spec on Chalice of the Void, you notice today the low is 48. And then tomorrow it's 48 and then 48 and then 47.50 and then 47.50 and then 46 and 45. And then you notice it's hanging out at 45. And then like you can kind of get a feel for it if you're keeping a really close eye on it. And then as soon as you start to see like the 45 copy get bought and then nobody replaces it for several days, then you can figure you're probably kind of at, at least a local valley. So, you know, and just watch the price graphs, wait for them to level out. And, you know, that's essentially where you should buy because instead of trying to time the absolute floor, just accept buying in the bottom 5%. You should be good. I'm literally buying Ether Vial at a 5% spread right now, uh, predicated on demand from everything else in death and taxes getting reprinted at this point, as well as the fact that we can't keep them in stock no matter what price we're charging on them. Uh, same thing with Cryptic Command. I think my spread on Cryptic Command is 10% right now, which is also super low. Uh, but I mean, we just can't keep any of this in stock. Like, all the other things are starting to get reprinted, and players are like, oh, I'm going to try this new deck, but I need four Cryptics or I need four Ether Vials. And uh, it, it's just insane. Like, 
I bought 20 something ether vials um, overseas this weekend. And then they were all gone before I got back to the States. Cause I was like, Hey players, I'm restocking. And everyone was just like, after the first five or six people, everyone's like, I'll take four. Like, I don't care what you're charging. I want these. It's the same way with cryptic command. Um, and we're not even a modern heavy, like the places I work with aren't even that modern heavy and it's still, everybody wants these. Uh, so it's something to keep in mind. And it's also tax return season now. Uh, I know I talked about this a little bit on maybe the last cast and definitely a lot on Twitter, but players are starting to get fat checks and rather than investing them uh, prudely in investments and stuff like that, which they should be doing unless they're trying to buy cards from me, uh, they're just spending it all on magic cards and it's a real good time to be a seller right now. Whether you're on TCG at your local area or if you're operating in a shop, it's just very good for everybody right now. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. And you and you can time these ebbs and flows as Ed normally does every year and make a lot of money off of it, assuming you gamble correctly. Yeah, just for like a bit of reference, the uh, Star City Open this weekend, there were 740 players for Legacy uh, in the main event, but their modern classic on Sunday had 400 players, had over 400 players, which is the largest uh, classic ever. And... They had announced, I think maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was this morning, that the Open in Dallas this weekend is actually, they're actually raising the cap from, I think it was 900 or 1,000 up to 1,200. Um, Which is still not as big as the St. Louis Legacy event in 2014. Hmm. Um, but Come I think back, that, Star City, I miss you. But I think that just goes to show, like, whenever they shake up modern, like, it's it's definitely infectious. I'll, there's a lot of people out there who are looking to try Blood Raid Elf, you know, like, you know, Cascade, you know, Cascade into all those sweet spells they haven't done before, or kind of dust off those Jaces that they might not have been able to play ever since the Miracles ban in Legacy, like, some time ago. Um, so, it's definitely something to capitalize on if you're looking to move your modern staples. Anything that you have access of, like i'll just flip them now mainly because i don't foresee them getting much higher than they already are um mainly because i think once kind of the initial hype wears off um i would suspect that we're not that many big modern tournaments away from kind of having a uh i don't want to say solved format but a format where everything has kind of clearly been established like right now people are still trying to figure out numbers for like like what's software built for John, what's the best deck for Jace, et cetera. But once a few more modern tournaments roll around, um, I expect kind of a more established meta. Yeah. So thanks for the question, Brad. Uh, Jim explained how you can win your credit and all that fun stuff. And we definitely appreciate your question. We actually, a lot of people that have never left questions before left questions this week. So you guys should keep that up. We appreciate our old listeners winning uh, multiple times, but we also like it when new people ask questions every week. Um, and moving on, Ed just touched on something that I thought would be a good point to uh, to bring back up. Almost everything in Jund is spiking right now. Liliana the Veil's up a ton of money because uh, you can cascade into it with Bloodbraid Elf. Tarmogoyf is finally going up. Uh, Bloodbraid Elf's not as high as it was, upon spoiler, but you're seeing Jund pieces just uh, start to go up a bunch, and it's just something to keep in mind. Um, that there finally may be a little money to make on Tarmogoyf, and it, it finally rebounded just a teeny bit, which is nice. So you asked me to tell people how to win. 
And yeah. then you're like, and our next subject is <laughs> unrelated to that completely. Well, if you were, so for everyone listening that isn't listening live, if you want to scroll back that audio to the beginning of when I said, hey, Jim, who won? And can you tell them how they can win? I assumed at that point, Jim would say, this is who won and this is how you can win in the future. So if you guys just want to scroll that's, that audio back five or six minutes. That's then, never how it works. Then snip it and then tweet it out at Jim. He's a at P-H-R-O-S-T underscore. You should uh, you guys should do that. We I'm sure Jim would really appreciate it. I would appreciate it. And then if I'm correct, which is we've never done it that way, and I always end this segment with telling you how to win, then please send Jeremy every episode where I end the segment with how to win and then take all those segments, put them together, and send them as one clip to Jeremy. Sounds his, great. His Twitter handle is something. I don't remember what it is. At Missouri MTG. Yeah, that one. So none of, none of you should waste your time with any of this, by the way. <laughs> I don't know, man. We got so many comments the other time when you said that you didn't care what time people listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Travis. There were so many comments about when they listen to the podcast. Yep. They were joining the conversation, as Cedric Phillips likes to say. Yeah, but we don't want to hear from them. All right. You well, speaking of John, nerds. Speaking right, of I, speaking no, of John. Stop, stop. Stop. Brad, I appreciate your question. Please send me a message on Facebook or Twitter or at our email address, which is cartelrestaurants at gmail.com. And I will send you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. If you would like to win the gift certificate next week, please post a comment, a question, I should say, on the article that will go up uh, Tuesday, is it March 6th? And uh, if you get randomly selected the next week, you could win $25 in coolstuffing.com store credit. So Jeremy, and you want to talk about Jund? Speaking Jund? of Jund, we might as well bolt over to this conversation. Ed, do you want to talk about Jund at all and what's going up in modern? Wait, why don't I get to talk about Jund? Because you just talked. Ed, Ed needs his quota. It's in the contract. Nope, I'm happy to default to Jim here. What were Yo, Jim man, have you seen the price of tireless tracker? It's so high. I was waiting to get more for EDH. I only had like five. Yeah, it seems five. It seems that players are finally getting a clue when it comes to how powerful this card is. I mean, it even man, seems you, I just I did not miss Shadows over Innistrad block. I was just I was we were done investigating clue jokes, but now we're we're back to them again. Oh boy. I, I, I saw that coming like before he even started talking. I was like, oh, God. We're, we're, like, there's going to be a clue in this sentence. Yeah, it's uh, good to see that we're back on track. If you guys want to continue. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Tireless Tracker is sweet to cascade into. Um, they're playing them also in the Red Green Ponza deck because you can cascade into Stone Rains, which is also kind of busted. So I don't know. Both Braid Off is great. Chase the Mind Sculptor is bad. Uh, slightly more in-depth analysis. I think people will naturally gravitate towards what's already established. We've already seen Bloodbraid Elf uh, base decks be very successful in the past. I would argue that they were better in the past when they had Deathrite Shaman, despite the fact that we have new tools like Lillian the Last Hope, Tireless Tracker. Um, uh, what else do we have back then? Or what else? We well, what else is a new addition? Fatal push. Like these are all new things that have been added to the Black Green X archetypes over the past years. Whereas Jace, Jace has been banned since the original iteration of Modern. It's this is the first time it's come off. Um, and traditionally, just uh, control decks have struggled in Modern, mainly because 
uh, the tools to, you know, that you need to make a control deck viable are just so, they're just so varied. Um, you know, you can lose to a 1-1 one, one Hexproof creature, you can lose to, you know, a 2-2 two, two Haste on turn one, you can lose to someone playing through a Breach and putting Emrakul into play. These are all very, very different questions that require a very particular set of answers. Whereas playing Bloodbraid Elf, it's very simple and straightforward. You're playing, you know, the best cards at, you know, the one, two, three, and four drop spot. And you're basically just jamming, just hoping that, you, you know, your, your quality of cards are good enough that you're eventually going to overwhelm them uh, or that they just don't have the correct answers. Um, like, I, like I mentioned previously, I do think that Modern is probably a few turns away from kind of being a little bit more established than it is now. And I think if you are looking to get ahead of the curve, I think tr getting like those ancestral visions now getting like, you know, last week I said, get your search out uh, search for a scant out of the way. We saw it uh, being played in the miracles deck and legacy this past weekend. Uh, I can only assume that search for a and Jace kind of go hand in hand in modern. Um, these are types of things where we've already seen the black green X staples for John spike. Um, but if we ever get to the point where a control deck kind of becomes the the premier uh, deck in modern, then I would probably look at those as to the next major things that could spike in modern. What question am I trying to answer? We're just talking about cards going up in modern. Oh, John cards. That's why we have Travis for that hard-hitting financial analysis, guys. Anything else you want to say, Jim? No, I, I think kind of the boat has or the ship has sailed. I don't think there's anything in particular that that can go up. Um, this set in particular doesn't really support anything. Like it's not reprinting any bottleneck card in a deck that we know about. So there's not a whole lot of stuff that you can buy. I think knowing what's coming in M25. Yeah, and on the Legacy front, uh, Star City just had the Legacy open that Ed talked about. We're seeing cards uh, from this new itineration of Miracles go up in response to Deathrite Shaman being basically prevalent everywhere. Uh, it's at a higher percentage right now than what Miracles was at before the ban, so people are thinking Deathrite's going to get the axe now. Uh, back to Basics, which I believe is on the reserve list, basically doubled as a result of tournament play because it's so good against Checkpile and Grixis Delver right now. Um, Tireless Tracker is going up because Lands is so well positioned in Legacy right now. Uh, Sig talked about this earlier, and this is something that you guys should keep in mind. The Red-White Death and Taxes deck is going up, so Plateau is actually more expensive now than Taiga uh, because that, that card's starting to see play when you look at buy list. Vendors are paying higher numbers, or some vendors are paying higher numbers for Plateau right now over Taiga. And it's something to keep in mind. And we already saw Badlands spike last year when Blackguard Reanimator was the flavor of the month. So maybe Plateau spikes next because there's not that many Taiga decks in Legacy right now outside of Jund and Lands. And those have always uh, had a financial cap, especially for Lands and how many players can afford these decks. So it's something to keep in mind. And since none of you play Legacy, I'm just going to go cry in the corner. But it, legacy is uh, still somewhat financially relevant, so it's good to keep in mind. <laughs> so I'm curious. Uh, not necessarily a fine. There, there are financial implications, but 
is it possible that we see Deathrite Shaman getting the axe? Yeah, and I know uh, that's one of the kind of the more popular topics on people's mind. Yeah, it's actually the number one topic in every single legacy group right now because they're analyzing how many death rights are being played versus how many decks were playing top and stuff and brainstorm. Uh, there's a couple tournament results where death right was actually played more than brainstorm, uh, which is crazy because there was just like a lot of elves and a lot of uh, maverick and stuff like that, and those decks don't play brainstorm. Uh, so it's something to just keep in mind that. Deathrite's getting real good, and if you're speculating on him and you've been holding on to him since Eternal Masters, and now that the price is starting to go back up, maybe dump a couple just to insulate yourself from a possible banning in the future. Um, however, if Deathrite gets banned, I don't think Cradle goes down at all. Uh, in, in, uh, in Elves, I think Elves is still very good. Deathrite obviously helps with the turn two kill in Elves, but uh, the deck's still going to be played by a lot of uh, green mages out there, so it's something to keep in mind. I mean, Cradles are $300 now, which is crazy, uh, but people are still buying them at $300. So it's, uh, it's a crazy world out there right now. I don't know if there's anything else that I can contribute to Legacy. I, I can help uh, after this tournament this weekend because I know the Midwest metagame's way different than the... East Coast metagame, it's more similar to the European metagame, whereas Star City has a disproportional amount of people on the number one deck, which right now is Grixis Delver. A lot of Legacy players stick to the deck they've had for years. Uh, so the Legacy metagame will be a lot different at a not big event where you have all the grinders showing up as it is at like a local Legacy tournament. So it's just something to keep in mind. I think I have some issue with the idea of Deathrite being banned. Like, I understand that it probably sees a relatively disproportionate amount of play relative to how innocuous, I guess. Like it in a vacuum, it's if you're a new player, it might be a little bit hard to understand why Deathrite Shaman is so powerful, why Brainstorm is so powerful. Because on on the surface, those cards look relatively harmless, I guess. But it's very easy to see, like as a more experienced player, with you know, once you start combining with things like fetch lands or you know in the case of miracles like terminus or whatever why those cards could be very powerful but my biggest complaint the two biggest complaints i have against the argument of death right should be being banned is i think people deserve kind of the liberty to play with these cards that you might not otherwise normally get to play with i obviously death right is banned in modern i think that i i don't i don't think that card will ever be unbanned in modern it's just far too good um but I think legacy people being able to abuse Deathrite Shaman is fine. People being able able to abuse Brainstorm, I think that's fine. I think that's part of the draw of those formats. I think it just adds a little bit of depth to those, especially when you see cool things like people uh, with uh, Deathrite Shaman's opposing each other, kind of vying for when is the appropriate time to use it. How can I get my opponent to tap in such a way that's kind of a resource? Um, same with Brainstorm. Like at what point am I casting Brainstorm upkeep? Uh, end step, their end step, etc. Like all these different times to use Brainstorm. I think that's kind of the draw of the format. And my second biggest uh, rebuttal as to why it should be banned is I, I I think Deathrite Shaman is kind of the mistake, mistake as it were, that Wizards makes once every like five years. It happens like once or twice a decade. I think at some point there's going to be a card that will actually surpass Deathrite Shaman, as as insane as that sounds. And I think we're just going to kind of repeat this thought process. Like, at what point is the card too good 
because you can't just chop the head off and then because once you do that you're just going to have another card that you're going to kind of replace it instead right we banned um we banned sensei's divine top it's like okay well you know miracles went away but at the time grixis delver was kind of already vying for the second most popular deck in legacy and now you know you took miracles away miracles kind of fell down a few notches but it might still be a deck who knows but now grixis delver is the top okay what happens when you chop off you know the, the head of Grixis Delver, like, is it still a deck? Who knows? It might get knocked down a few notches, but some other deck is going to be the the best deck, and people are just going to find some reason to complain about that. Um, and that's kind of why I'm against unbanning things. I would or banning things. I'd kind of rather see things be unbanned and hope that it shakes up the meta in a way. And I, I think like modern is a little bit healthier now that we did see Jason uh Bloodbraid Elf be unbanned because it's kind of encouraging people to try new things as opposed to banning things where people are just kind of recycling pieces from decks that were already there or people just kind of going to the second best audible instead. There's some curious comments in there. Uh, I mean, you're comparing Death Rite to Brainstorm, which doesn't sound weird on the surface except that brainstorm's also too good for the format it's just a brainstorm got grandfathered in by virtue of being brainstorm uh i don't like other cards don't get that they don't get to be brainstorm they have to play by a different set of rules it's dumb but that seems to be what wizards has kind of outlined for legacy well uh, it's interesting that you make that point about brainstorm especially given how many legacy games you've played i mean i used to play legacy we had a local scene and i played uh show and tell i top aided a Star City, a Star City Legacy opened several years ago, and I was the first person in the U.S. to play uh, Omnitel. I just got my shit kicked in, didn't I? Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brainstorm's too good for Legacy, but they let it go. Uh, but other cards aren't going to get to pull that off. Also, you, you're talking about how Ed was talking about how um, you know where do you draw the line? But I think that's they have those metrics, right? Like they can look at it and go, well, it turns out that there's 60% of the top eight is playing this card every single week. Like we know that that's too much, right? Like they, they're not going to say it's exactly 38% of the top eight has to be, if there's more than 38% playing this, then it's too much. Right. But like, we know that it's generally that area. So, um, it seems like there's a pretty good metric for banning cards in that sense, at least getting a feel for how overplayed they may be again, exempting brainstorm but I, I death rate seems way too good in legacy just as a outsider perspective to me <clears throat> anything you want to add jim nope all right let's uh let's segue into pick of the week here ed you got you got something good for us um i do actually i'm i'm ready so i'm kind of off the standard train standard is whatever right now i'm sure i'll get back to it uh, I'm starting to look back at Masterpieces. Uh, we had this conversation last year. There was kind of a stretch where it felt like Masterpieces were being bought out left and right. We're kind of at that point where um, Masterpieces are slowly disappearing again. The supply on TC Player is really, really low on a lot of them. Uh, so my pick of the week is actually going to be uh, Masterpiece Platinum Angel. It's a pretty popular card by EDH Rec. The fact that it's an artifact, it's colorless, it goes into play of decks that has a very, you know, big splashy type effect that would be synonymous with EDH makes it very appealing. And it does appear that there's a ton of copies on TC player right now. I think when I looked earlier today, there were like low teens or something uh, on Star City. If I can have this pulled up here somewhere. 
Uh, they're currently out of stock for near mint copies. Uh, Channel Fireballs out of stock for near mint copies. Um, I mentioned previously that masterpieces are modern day reserve list cards, and this is kind of the effect that we're seeing. The likelihood that there's going to be another, you know, Platinum Angel and enter the marketplace on the virtue of someone opening them is basically zero. So what we have is what we have, and who knows how many of these are, you know, already scrolled away in people's commander decks, however many they have, people's cubes or whatever. Um, so replacing these is really not going to be easy, and especially for some of the uh, either more competitive ones, like I've kind of been keeping my eye on the Affinity Masterpieces, but most of them are already quite expensive. Mox Opal is over $200 already. I think it's actually displacing uh, Soul Ring as the most expensive Masterpiece. Um, you know, Arcbound Ravager, that's a four of. Ornithopter, that's a four of. Uh, if you're wanting masterpieces, I would suggest you buy them now, because um, otherwise it's just it's just gonna be really hard to get them and replace them down the line. And for the record, I'm not going to be the one to buy TCG player out of Platinum Angels. I don't need any more masterpieces. I probably have like a thousand masterpieces already. So um, I'll I'll let humble someone brag. Out. Humble brag. I'll, I'll I will keep my hands like you know clean of blood on this one. I'll let someone else do the dirty work. So MTG Finance, have at it. I only have like $50,000 invested in masterpieces. Hey, what am I talking about? Jim? So this week, uh, Elves did really well in Legacy. Uh, it is a deck that is also pretty reasonable, if not actually like an actively good matchup against Jund and Modern. And it has a card that got reprinted or is about to get reprinted in uh, Masters 25. So I'm going to pick a card from that deck that is not going to get reprinted, which is uh, Heritage Druid. This card is $3. It's played in literally every Elves deck that can exist. Um, we might get some more Elves from Dominaria that they were a pretty popular creature type there. I think it's hard to go. It's hard to, to lose with that. I think that $3 for Heritage Druid, you will not be sad that you bought them. I like that call. I think that's some that's something that people keep asking me for, and I'm surprised it's still that cheap. Especially compared to where it was like a year ago before Eternal Masters. So Yeah, before Eternal Masters was like ten dollars and it was an uncommon from Morning Tide. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a pretty good pick. There's a rare one down to three bucks. I can't imagine that it's gonna stay there forever. Yeah. Travis? Uh, <clears throat> uh the stupid event kicks on just as I'm supposed to talk to you guys. Uh, my pick this week, and I feel like I've mentioned this somewhere at some point in time in the past. I don't remember where. It's been long enough, so I'm going to run it out here again. Foil Mentor of the Meek. Like, Alesha, one of the top-built commanders on EDH Truck this month. There are 12,000 decks that play Mentor of the Meek. It's always going to be cool in EDH because it pays off people who are doing cool stuff with small creatures. It's only got one foil printing. Supply is very low. You can snag them for four or five bucks. Seems like an easy ride up to 10 or 15. Uh, just Dodge Masters 25. No idea where you'd get a foil copy of this in 2018 or where Wizards would print a foil copy of this in 2018. So uh, just staying on that EDH train. Should I call Sliver Queen again so that the top finance post on Reddit can be, oh, God, they called a card that they own a ton of just to make it spike? No, because I already bought out all my Sliver Queens. You got to pick something I own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, restore balance. No, but yeah. you know, new perspectives. <laughs> thanks, guys. I noticed that there is a trend on Sliver Queen and that apparently we secretly had thousands of copies just stocked away somewhere. This isn't memory jar. That didn't happen with Sliver Queen. Um, 
Let's see. I think this week I'm going with – there's so many good things. But I I, th- I really – I was talking with some people just looking at our dual numbers, and I think Tundra's uh, prime for a spike right now. Uh, if you look on like QS and you look at spreads on everything, even underground C, you're seeing a sharp uptick on most vendor average buy lists um, in the last month on dual lands. Obviously, this is um, this isn't an easy card to like hold on to, and we have GP Seattle coming up, which means that legacy cards are going to start spiking anyway, uh, especially with the team events as well. Like everyone's trying to buy legacy cards because they either need a legacy player or they're trying to play legacy, and it's also tax return season, which means cards are naturally going to go up as well. Uh, but I, I mean. With this new itineration of Miracles showing that uh, you can actually beat Grixis Delver, there's people that are going to pick this deck up, and there's not that many Tundras out there for a ton of players. Uh, that was a Marcellism, yes, Jim. Um, <laughs> my old Missouri pronunciation coming back to bite me. Uh, what was it? What's the name of the guy that gives you the wine that helps you pair it? Sommelier. Yeah, what did uh, you say it was? So, oh, God. Sommelier. <laughs> So, no man, it was something bad. It was um, way worse than that. Yeah, it was way worse than that. <laughs> wine man, you wine man, <laughs> put, put put wine in me. Uh, yeah, but I mean, even like Volcanic Island sort of hit its cap. Underground is still going up, which is crazy. Uh, like retail is like five hundred something on that now, uh, for like the high end um, shops or like the well known shops. But I mean, even Bylas on on Underground Sea are going up. You're seeing a really high buy list on Bayou starting to tick up, but Tundra is also ticking up. Uh, this is a card that fell after Miracles got the axe, and now that there's a new a new version of it out there, that's something that players may pick up, and you might see an uptick. It's just something to keep an eye on if you own them. I wouldn't recommend selling them for another month, even though they're starting to go back up. I would just wait and see right around GP Seattle uh, where the price of that card is. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, the other one is from the vault Mox Diamond is very close to Stronghold Mox Diamond right now. Uh, obviously, the print quality is not great on the from the vault version, uh, but I have stacks of Stronghold Mox Diamonds at every Legacy tournament, and every player always asks me for the foil ones when they're building lands or they're playing EDH. So it's just something to keep in mind that the price difference is not that much um, for the for that card. Where can people find you guys? Well, we ever, everyone knows that you can find you in depths of the reserve list since that's two weeks in a row you've uh, you've mentioned. Uh, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not. Cards. I don't have a stack of tundras sitting next to me. In fact, I yeah. I have... but you just said, you're just like, oh yeah. By the way, make sure you watch out for Mox Diamond. Also, I own a stack of Mox Diamonds. I, I own ten Mox Diamonds, and eight of them are on reserve for the Legacy event this weekend that I will plug in about three minutes. And I own three tundras because we sold eighteen copies already. And I was like, wow, we need to up our price. So, yeah, clearly. Uh, uh, so my name yeah. is Jim. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Uh, you can find me on Gathering Magic every other week. And you can find me in the not-so-great state of Florida. I am Travis Allen, Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. On Twitter, I write every Monday on mtgprice.com for the Watchtower series. I also do the web, the podcast, MTG Fast Finance. Uh, I'm Edwin at, at Edwin13 on Twitter. Uh, you guys can find me behind a booth, Kern's Game Store, New York. I will be in GP Madrid this weekend. 
assuming flight gets to leave apparently we're expecting another winter storm to come in on wednesday so i might get stuck in that again who knows what's winter i haven't i haven't <laughs> seen winter since i was in new york in january and if your trip gets canceled the uh travel agency is really going to have to explain to you how that happened because you're going to madrid get it um nobody's nobody's <laughs> gonna give you any credit for that one yeah uh, I'm Jeremy. You can find me this weekend at Moonbase Market in St. Louis. We are hosting a charity event for the Legacy 5K. I, d- I skipped Travis. Did- no, Travis won. Um, it's a four-story shop with room for 300 players. The event is capped at 275 players. Douglas Johnson of Brainstorm Brewery is being flown in to buy with me. I know there's a lot of people that are looking forward to meeting him. He will be wearing normal clothes this weekend, not magic clothes. So we will have them looking like an adult and uh, professionally dressed, I may say. Uh, we will have catering. There is a bar at the venue. And every single player, not, uh, you know, thanks to Ed as well, we'll get a uh, we'll get a door prize. Uh, we have hundreds of door prizes to give away. And Ed Ed's uh, company helped to donate a bunch of sweet deck boxes. So we appreciate that a lot. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at MazuraMTG. Ed is currently holding up a version of the sweet decks uh, protection deck box that Kerwan sent us. Um, I, it will be live streamed on twitch.tv slash moonbase underscore market. Uh, we will have very good commentators for that. We are expecting, I believe, nine rounds of legacy for the Swiss, I want to say. So it's going to be a pretty long uh, day for me, all things considered. Uh, we will have armed security, off-duty police forces for there to protect your stuff. We will have sanctioned vintage. I believe we have 20 players right now. So it should be fun. Um, I hope to see you guys there. I know we have a bunch of cartel fans that are driving seven hours to make it to this, which is obscene. Uh, but we're happy to help you guys out. I don't know how many shirts I have left to give away. But yeah, like people driving from Texas, people driving from Minneapolis, it's pretty crazy. I think that's enough of a plug. I think everyone stopped listening at this point. You can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on YouTube to watch the video version of this cast at youtube.com slash cartel aristocrats. I want to say you can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on gathering magic. You can find us on MTG cast. And of course you can find us next week. As Ed said, I should probably mention that a portion of this tournament is going to the cancer research Institute including both booth sales and entry fees. The goal is to hit $10,000 to give to the Cancer Research Institute. There will be uh, silent auctions as well on site for stuff that people have donated. I think we have 80 donated silent auction items at this point, so it should be a bunch of fun. Um, But anyway, I said where you can find us uh, for Cartel, and of course, you can find us next week when you tune back in to see how Ed did in Spain. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one, and we'll see you all with a little less bickering next week. Bye.